Welcome to Hockey Talk, ladies and gentlemen. I'm thinking of Bobby Orr right now, number four, because this is the fourth season of Hockey Talk coming at you. If you're worried about missing something, we had three years on another carrier. Got a few episodes in last year with uh, Whiteman, and here we are starting our fourth season in these brand new beautiful facilities. I hope you can see that great monitor behind us. And yeah, we're looking forward to bringing you some more great guests from the NHL, the OHL, and from all over the world of hockey. Uh, Last year with Whiteman, we got in some episodes. We had Paul Harrison, former Minnesota North Star and Toronto Maple Leaf goalie. Uh, We had John Bartlett, who uh, Sportsnet uh, play-by-play guy, who's now with the Toronto Maple Leafs. At that point, he was with Montreal Canadiens. We got an episode in with Reed Duffy and Brock Miles shortly after winning a Stanley Cup as equipment manager with the Washington Capitals. And those are the kinds of guests that we're going to be bringing you all through our fourth season as well. Today, in a few moments, we're going to bring on a pretty familiar face I think you're going to be excited to to, to hear from. Uh, Just a few reminders here. You can catch our podcast on BWR Hockey Talk, Podomatic.com. And you can catch us uh, on Twitter at HockeyTalk913. So having said that, I should uh, point out we have a guest host here, Jamie Bennett, is sitting in today. How are you doing, Jamie? Good, Andy. Thanks for having me on today. And for those of you that are uh, looking for Steve Fitzsimmons, he will be back this season as well. Other business called him away, but uh, play-by-play guy will be back next week when we have our trade deadline roundup. Ladies and gentlemen, as uh, we mentioned before, uh, many great guests are going to be on uh, season four as well. I should take a moment to give a nod to uh, Adam Oliveira, who's making all the magic happen behind the the scenes here, and we're doing our first Skype call on Hockey Talk. And uh, many of you are going to recognize this uh, handsome gentleman on the screen behind us. We have uh, Jason uh, Mazalow, also known as Dart Guy, who uh, all-around Leafs fan. He's a hockey scout. Uh, kind of a pop culture phenom, and uh, we're going to ask him a little bit. He has some goaltending chops, too, that we're going to talk about a little bit later. He does, indeed. Yeah, so uh, welcome to the show, Jason. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here, and uh, you don't have to lie to them. They can actually see me, so they know I'm not handsome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so uh, I wanted to first ask you a little bit about, let's kick it off with some Leaf talk there, because you're an avid Leaf fan. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's your thought on the Matthew signing? Well, you know what? Uh, I, I like I like the term. I like the the dollar amount. It made sense for both sides. When you when you're looking at a lot of these players now uh, coming off their entry level contracts, it, it's it's happened more than once in the past where the the star players and the teams are looking at going maybe the five year route instead of uh, uh, going for the max term right away. And I think this year the deal with Matthews. The, the dollar amount that he got signed for, it allows the Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas to have a little wiggle room within the cap. Uh, it allows hit, uh, Matthews to perhaps make more money long term because you're looking at a scenario where five years from now, uh, we're, we can safely expect the cap should be much higher and uh, there might be a little bit more money to, uh, to throw Austin's way. I do agree with you about term there too because often there's an assumption that they just have to max out just because 
But when you look at when the contracts go south, it's often in the last two or three years there when they end up, you know, sometimes wanting to bury contracts and things like that. So that five years does look good. Now, Jason, something I'd like to ask you is, does the fact that Austin Matthews is making over $11 million have anything to do with uh, the the captain situation? Because we know John Tavares signed for seven years at $11 million a year. Now Austin Matthews is making more money but on less term. Does that change the whole captain situation of who's going to be the next captain for the Toronto Maple Leafs, in your opinion? Well, I, I was very adamant about, uh, I believed Austin Matthews was ready, mature enough to handle being named captain at the start of this season. Um, I was an advocate for, for Austin to be the, you know, he's the face of the franchise. Uh, he should be the team captain. But I've basically gotten to the point where we have so many good players, so many options for good leaders that really... I don't care who it is anymore. I mean, if it if they decide to give it to JT because he's a he's a Toronto boy and they want to go that route, perfect. If they want to give it to you know a Morgan Riley because he's been with the team a little bit longer and uh, you know his, his game's very much matured. He's uh, he's a heck of a defenseman. You know, obviously in the conversation for uh, the Norris Trophy this year. So. You know, I've had some pretty firm opinions on it in the past, but right now I'm just like, you know what, whatever way they go, I'm going to be happy with it. And as long as the players are happy with it and the dynamic in the room, everybody's okay with whoever whoever gets to see, then then I'm okay with what they decide. Yeah, I have to say, uh, I've sometimes been critical of the Leafs, but I think they made a wise decision sitting back and sort of letting things gel and see what emerges and then making the decision then. Well, yeah. That's basically that's basically kind of you know obviously what they did and uh, as I said you know Matthews you see him in all his interviews and, and the way he handles the media and the way he handles himself in public this this kid is mature beyond his years and I think he's well built to handle getting the C uh, and they probably could have given it to him at the beginning of the year but uh, letting the room play out and let the room decide uh, who their go to guy is uh, you can never go wrong with that route either. Now, you, you've said that you were happy with the term that Austin Matthews signed for. Is there any sort of worry in your mind as a, as a Maple Leafs fan that he may leave at the end of this term and go back to a team like Arizona, where he's from, or a, perhaps a different team in a similar way that John Tavares came back to Toronto? Well, now, now seeing you know what John was able to do and, and the way he was able to cheer, choose his career path and... Uh, I, I believe players earn that right. And if we've got uh, Matthews for the rest of this year and, and five more, that's six kicks at a, at a Stanley Cup run with Austin. If he's here and he gives us everything he has, he, and at the end, you know, we walk away with a cup or two and he decides he wants to go play in Arizona, he's earned that right and, and I'll respect him for it. Do I really see that being a, a major factor or a major concern right now? No. Um, Talk to me on January uh, on, on June 29th, 2024, close to midnight, and then I'll be get I'll get concerned if he doesn't have an extension in place. Uh, I wanted to ask you too. Uh, with the trade deadline is starting to loom, uh, a lot of people are pretty happy with the Jake Muzzin pickup. Uh, do you think the Leafs need to stand pat, or do they need to go after something else? Well, uh, I've been beating the drum all along on uh, on the Dark Guy and Todd Shapiro show on TSN 1050. I do believe that the Leafs 
could use uh, a little of the grit that Jake Muzzin brings to the back end. I believe they could use that on the front end. Uh, I, I really, I'm a big fan of, of maybe taking a run at a guy like Wayne Simmons out of Philadelphia. Maybe a, a little bit of a cheaper option is Michael Furland out of Carolina. But the, the Leafs are in a little bit of a predicament here with, with the cap situation. So um, they have $4 million available in cap space, but there's $3.7 million in attainable bonuses to Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner uh, that they could still hit, which would basically eat up all the remaining cap space that the Leafs do have. Now, you can, you can defer those bonus payments uh, to your cap hit for the following season, but things are already looking tough for next year. So if the Leafs were to, to make a move, I firmly believe that any salary in has to be equaled by salary out or we put ourselves in a very tough predicament for next year. One guy I'd like to ask you about in particular is a guy um, you've probably, I'm sure you're familiar with him, Tom Sestito, who's currently playing with the Toronto Marlies. Do you see there being a potential opportunity for him to join the club um, and provide that grit and toughness to the team, uh, particularly with the case that Matt Martin didn't play in the playoffs last year? Is there still a role on this Toronto Maple Leafs team for a purely gritty player? Uh, it's, it's the age-old adage, everybody knows when the playoffs come, the referees put the whistles away a little bit, the game changes, it gets a, it gets a little more physical, and certain things are, are, are allowed to, uh, to fly that perhaps wouldn't be so in the regular season. Now, last year, I, I do believe the Leafs made a mistake by not having Matt Martin in the lineup last year, and, you know, when you don't, when you don't have a guy like that, and, and Matt Martin can play. We're not just talking about a goon here. No, you're now, absolutely Matt right. Matt Martin can play uh, given given some serviceable minutes. When you don't have that in your lineup, what you see is guys like Anazem Kadri last year trying to step up and fill that role. And and what happened with that? Uh, Kadri took a run at uh, was it, uh, Wagner. He he caught him from That's behind. Right. Three game suspension. You know, if, if you have somebody in your lineup who's going to be able to do that, fill that role while actually still being able to play the game, like a Wayne Simmons or a Michael Furland, uh, or even to a certain extent Tom Sestito that you mentioned, uh, although he would be uh, my answer. But when you have the guy, everybody else has the ability to play their game that they're comfortable with and, and not feel like they need to uh, be the one to step up uh, like Nazem did last year. So I do think there is still a, a role for that. And again, it's, it's not a goon that's going to go out and play two shifts a night and get into a fight. But it's going to be somebody like uh, Babs has been saying a lot that, that can play heavy, uh, that can win those puck battles along the boards. And if somebody's going to try and take liberties with your stars, you got somebody who can push back a little. Yeah, I wonder if uh, they do, if they want that grit, you have to skate in today's NHL. You can't get by without someone who can skate. I wonder if there are some of those bodies in the, in the AHL, the American Hockey League, uh, coming to mind. I'm thinking of Cody Bass. Right now is with Colorado's uh, AHL affiliate. He's someone who, you know, he's logged some NHL games, has some experience, so he'd be easier to drop into a lineup. You know, he can skate, he can forecheck, and he's not afraid to chuck them if he has to. So I wonder if Absolutely. they... Absolutely. Yeah, you were talking about dollars might be a bit of a uh, something they have to keep an eye on. So I wonder if they could look to the American Hockey League and pick up a veteran with some toughness that way. Uh, that's, that's definitely an option, but I, I do believe one way or another... Uh, as much as I love this Maple Leafs team and I love the way they're built, I, I do see 
just that one more gritty forward that that can play play the game the right way and play hard, uh, being you know a, a key piece to a long run this uh, this this spring. Now, do you see? Um, I mean, I think every Maple Leafs fan, myself included, sort of bristles at the idea of playing the Boston Bruins in the first round. It's the last two times we've done it. We've had a bit of a heartbreak. And I don't think <laughs> yep. that either one of us will ever forget either one of those playoff runs. But um, if you consider playing a team like perhaps the Montreal Canadiens or even the Buffalo Sabres, does that need for toughness dissipate a little bit? Or do you think it's the same regardless of who you play? I think it's the same regardless of who you play. Uh, it's going to become a factor at some point in time when you when if you're expecting to go for a long playoff run, and and you look at how tight the the Stanley Cup Finals are every year, how physical battles they are. The, the Stanley it's a war to win the Stanley Cup, and uh, you need a couple soldiers who are going to be willing to sacrifice in that war. So, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, um, the other thing that is perhaps a bit of a break for some teams in the conference, or sorry, the division with the Leafs and the Bruins is the fact that David Pasternak is currently out for, of the lineup long term. They're expecting him back later this season. Um, and, I mean, we never like to see a guy get hurt, but it's a bit of a break for the Leafs because Pasternak's really had their number over the past couple of, couple of games and even couple of years, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's not just the Pasternak's with Boston. It's, uh, it seems to be, and, and I've talked about this a, a few times in the past before, too. The Toronto Maple Leafs are at a little bit of a uh, behind the eight ball a little bit, no matter who they play against. If you're, if you're a kid who's dreamed of playing in the NHL every, uh, since you were a kid and, and you're there and you've got a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, like every team is going to get up to play against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Especially when you got a, a you know a bunch of Canadian kids on, on a lot of these American teams like a Boston going into Arizona, you know the, it's easy for them to maybe overlook the importance of the game. But nobody, nobody, no team is ever coming into Toronto or having Toronto coming into their building and just taking it as another game. Everybody wants to beat Toronto. So whether it's a Pasternak who's had our number or you know a Crosby or whoever it's been, the team teams get play to up up to play against Toronto. So I think that's a factor regardless of uh, whether we run up to Montreal, Boston, Buffalo, uh, whoever we meet in the first round. Now, you're also a big Mississauga Steelhead fan in the OHL. How do you think uh, they're looking headed into the playoffs? Well, <laughs> you know, they, they, def they, they definitely made some, some moves. Uh, we're, I, I, haven't even, I haven't even seen recently uh, the the standings. Truth be told, I've been focusing so much on the uh, on the the minor midget uh, and midget AAA playoffs in the GTHL uh, for my scouting for the Tigers. That I'm, I'm not even uh, too too certain how they've been doing recently, to be honest. We've got them in third place in the Central Division right now, behind the Sudbury Wolves and Niagara Ice Dogs. Now, I believe that they also actually picked up a player from the Niagara Ice Dogs earlier in the season. Uh, defenseman Lucas Ham, I believe, was the player yes. they picked up. Yeah, yeah, and Sudbury's been hot again too. So, well, Sudbury, Sudbury's got a, a pretty good looking squad up there, and you know, with uh, with Quinton Byfield and, and how good he's been in his uh, first year in the OHL, uh, they're definitely going to be a team to contend with uh, if if they get rolling. Uh, and with Uka Pekalukin and uh, between the pipes, there he's he's a guy that we saw in the World Juniors that. Uh, he, he can win some games all on his own. So Sudbury could be a team uh, to definitely contend with as well uh, in the central there. Yeah, Lucan and uh, 
Buffalo Sabres prospect, and I think he's going to be a great one for them. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned uh, you're scouting for the Aurora Tigers, and you also scout for uh, uh, the Central Scouting. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that a little bit. Uh, when you go in there, how much of a template do they give you as a scout to follow when you're watching games? Well, you know what? Uh, I Basically, everything I've had is uh, I've, I've put together ba- uh, based on my experiences in hockey and uh, what I what I believe is a is a good hockey player and are some traits that um, uh, that I look for. So as far as like a major template, uh, uh, I wasn't really given anything. Uh, it was just a matter of uh, doing some research and uh, talking to some scouts that I knew that uh, helped me along the way and uh, pointed me in the right direction a little bit. So how many uh, how many uh, tier two uh, provincial junior A games would you say you've uh, seen this year? Oh, tier two junior A. Uh, well, or is it mostly midget you would be scouting? No, I I, I watch a little bit of everything. Uh, I'd say probably uh, about fifty tier two junior A, uh, midget triple A. I'd be in the neighborhood of seventy five to a hundred, and uh, the minor midget triple A. I'd be in that seventy five range as well. So I've I've been to a lot of games already. Uh, you know, the the tournaments are a good source for that. You can go to a tournament spent 12 hours at a rink and uh, end up hitting you know 10 games a day so now one thing I looked at is clearly you're a horrible hockey man and I've followed you on Twitter since you became really known as being dart guy and we've seen a little bit of backlash from the success that you've had you know getting your scouting roles and things like that how do you deal with that while knowing that you're still good at what you do well, no matter no matter what you do in life, uh, there's going to be people who are who are going to be judgmental or maybe a little bit uh, jealous uh, of things that you you've worked for and earned. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they saw the 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 original image of Dark Guy uh, from the game in Washington, and I'll be the first to admit it, it wasn't a flattering look. Uh, you know, I had had the face paint was was falling off my face, and I'm sitting there with my big beard and. Uh, and a cigarette hanging out of my mouth and uh, people just made assumptions that you know uh, maybe I wasn't a smart guy or, or maybe I, uh, I wasn't uh, you know a hockey guy and uh, I've done everything I can to prove people wrong and, and prove that uh, I do know the game and, and I'm comfortable talking about it and uh, you know if some people uh, don't want to give me credit for that, then uh, that's okay. There's so many people that have supported me along the way and, and had faith in me and shown trust in me that uh, it's easy to ignore the ones that don't. Now, I mean, to go along with that, I mean, I've said in the past that if I was going to open a college or a university, you're the guy that I would want to teach about how to build a brand because honestly you've taken a small piece of publicity online and you've turned it into something huge you've been wildly successful with that what do you credit to basically how you've built your success um, in scouting and in media and all those different things that you've done since that game in washington well i gotta say first and foremost that uh you know i i I believe my my parents raised me right and they uh taught me to be respectful and and that's what i've done uh, and any opportunity I've had, uh, I've shown the people the respect and, and hope they've been able to show it back to me. But I think the most important factor for me was I was okay with the idea that this might have only been 15 minutes of fame like a lot of people thought it was going to be. 
and uh, I was okay with that. I, w I was prepared to, you know, have my time and, and have some cool stories to share later on in life. But for as much as I was okay with that, I, I realized I had a massive opportunity to get back into the hockey world. Um, I was never going to have this opportunity again. So every time I approached an interview or I met somebody, I basically, whether they knew it or not, I conducted myself like I was in a job interview. And I was trying to sell the fact that, you know, I'm not just a guy who painted his face. I know the game. And given an opportunity, I, I will prove somebody, uh, prove somebody to be smart by giving me a chance. So there you go. So uh, as the great poet Chris Christofferson said, uh, freedom's uh, just another word for nothing left to lose. But you recognized your opportunity and you went after it. And I think that's great advice for everyone who's listening at home here. Absolutely. And uh, as you were saying there, getting back into the world of hockey, because uh, we were saying earlier you had some chops as a goaltender there. You played a bit in the Northern, on Northern Ontario Junior Hockey League for the Espanola Screaming Eagles. Yep. So uh, tell us a little bit about what that hockey experience was like. Uh, you know what? It was uh, some, of, some of my greatest memories that I'll, uh, I'll never forget. I... Uh, uh, you know, I was a, I was a kid who uh, up in Sudbury. Um, you know, anybody who's watching this is uh, going to know that there's there's politics in hockey, and uh, it doesn't matter how far you go, uh, that, that's always going to be a factor. And I was a kid who uh, never made the Triple A teams in Sudbury. Um, you know, because uh, the other goalies trying out were buddies with the the coach's dad and whatever the case might have been. And uh, I went from playing double-A hockey my whole life to I played a year of high school uh, for the LaSalle Lancers. We uh, won a city championship, uh, not a Northern Ontario championship, almost went, uh, almost took the All-Ontarios. Uh, we lost out to uh, Jason Spetz's team at uh, St. Mike's. But... Uh, I went from there, and uh, I, I sh the same confidence I've, I've shown with being dark, I, I basically I called this junior A team up and said, uh, you know, I heard you, I heard you need some goaltending help, and uh, I'll see you at practice tomorrow, and I'll be your new starting goaltender. Now, one thing... And, uh, I the, the GM just kind of laughed, and he said, you think so? I said, yeah. He said, all right, well, we'll see you tomorrow. And uh, I went to practice about half an hour into practice. He signed me, and uh, I played every game for almost a, a year and a half before I uh, sat out for one. <laughs> Well, it sounds very similar to me in a way to what Curtis Joseph went through. I'm not sure if you've read his uh, autobiography that he's written, but um, it's it's it sounds very similar to the way that he did things and that, you know, he was going to prove people wrong that were, you know, that were wrong about him clearly as a as the storied goaltender that he became. But yeah. uh, the one thing that I'd like to um, ask you about is you recently played the Madame Athletic Center at Maple Leaf Gardens. Can you <laughs> Yes, I did. Can you speak to how that feels as a, as a lifetime Leaf fan to play in basically a legendary building on sort of sacred ground. Well, I, I can tell you this, you know, uh, beyond just being a Leafs fan uh, and uh, in sports, I, I'm very big into the history of sports and, uh, you know, the history of a Maple Leaf Gardens, the history of a, of a Fenway Park, which I was just recently at as well. Uh, that stuff is never lost on me and, and I truly appreciate it. So, for have to have the opportunity to walk into the Madame Athletic Center, uh, get dressed and hop out on the ice, even though the renovations have, have happened and it's not quite Maple Leaf Gardens anymore. For me, the atmosphere, the energy is still in the building. And I mean, uh, I'm sitting here talking about it and my hair is standing on end just talking about it. Um, it's such an amazing experience. If you're a diehard hockey fan, you don't even have to be a Leafs fan. If you, if you know the history of Maple Leaf Gardens, 
you walk in that place and you play there, it's a, it's a second to none experience. And uh, I'd advise anybody, you know, if you haven't done it yet, to, to try it out because uh, I absolutely loved it and I can't wait to be out there again. And uh, just uh, before we uh, have to go with you here, I have one more question. Since this whole dart guy phenomenon has unfolded, is there one moment that has risen above it all for you where you were just like, that is the most awesome experience as a Leaf fan? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I've I've got so many that I could take about a half an hour to uh, rhyme them off. To be fair to everybody, but uh, I gotta I'll sing, uh, single out two of them. Uh, one of them would be just recently. Uh, you know, I was a big Rick Vive uh, fan growing up, uh, being a Leafs fan, and I actually I, I ran into him, and I didn't even have the face paint or anything. And I went out, uh, I ran up to him, I reached my hand out, and I went to say, hello, Mr. Vive, I'm, and he said, you're a dark guy. He's like, I know who you are, get over here, let's take a picture. Uh, having, having a Leafs legend like Rick Vive knowing who I am is, is something I'll never be able to properly explain. Uh, it, it's just, it's so amazing. And the second one, I guess, uh, that, that really is probably tops of the list is, uh, two years ago, when the Dark Eye thing happened, uh, game, I believe it was game four back in Toronto, uh, I had the opportunity to watch uh, the third period of a game with Walter Gretzky. Oh, wow. Now, uh, we were in a, up in a, a, friend's, a mutual friend's uh, private box, and a lot of hockey fans have ha- had the opportunity to meet Walter and get a picture with him, and uh, that's fantastic. But I actually got to watch a, a period of Leafs playoff hockey with ho- uh, Canada's favorite hockey dad, and uh, that, that never would have happened. Never would have happened for me unless uh, something like this uh, transpired. So, uh, you know, that's got to be at the top of the list as a crazy wow moment for me. Yeah, those are both uh, great stories. Uh, Rick Vive, of course, three-time 50 goal scorer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I remember back, because uh, that's, you know, back in my childhood too, where Vive used to have apparently the stiffest sticks in the NHL. They said no one on his team could even use them. They're so stiff, but he has such yeah. a heavy shot. The other thing that was interesting was Rick Vives actually played here in Hanover as well. I did, yeah, I played as, in the charity game in, there. In yeah. the charity that game, that's right. Great experience. Yeah. And uh, we actually, uh, someone who co-hosts on our show or has in the past, uh, Scott Bridge, he told a story where he happened to be in Brantford years ago and he knew a guy who kind of knew the Gretzkys so they actually cold called Walter they showed up at the door and they knocked on the door and they they said Walter invited them in and they said they spent an hour and a half he took them down to the rec room and they said it was just unbelievable they got to hang out in the Gretzky household so yeah it's amazing how many stories we've heard about Walter Gretzky uh, people having fantastic experiences with him Oh, he's he's a uh, he's a legend, and he's so humble and so kind. Uh, he, he's uh, he's one of a kind, that's for sure. So uh, that's pretty much our time we have with you, Jason. I do want to uh, put a shout out to Ryan Drury, who uh, he's uh, co-hosted on your show there and uh, host of MWO Sports. He used to uh, he used to host this show a couple of years ago too, and uh, he set things up for us. So uh, thanks to Ryan Drury for that, and thanks so much, Jason. Uh, super knowledgeable guy and. Uh, I can see you work really, really hard. You have the right attitude, and I hope uh, everything keeps just chugging along for you. I, I really appreciate that, and yeah, a huge shout-out to Ryan. He'll actually be my co-host again this Saturday, so we'll be live 3 p.m. Uh, TSN 1050 with the Dark Guy and Tony Shapiro Show uh, with Ryan as my co-host, so he'll be back again this weekend. This Saturday, nice. All right, and we hopefully we'll see you at the 2019 Stanley Cup Parade, right? 
Oh, you know, you, you know I'll be there, face paint and all. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jason. You're welcome. And we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about some Toronto Marlies fan experience. One thing uh, that's concerned me with NHL hockey, particularly Toronto Maple Leaf hockey the last few years, is that it's so expensive. I always worry, uh, what's that going to do down the road, where there's a lot of families can't afford uh, their way to get inside the Scotiabank Centre. Um, recently, my son's hockey team uh, had the opportunity to be flag bears at a Marley's game, and uh, I thought it was a really cool fan experience, so I want to take a few moments and just uh, talk about that. Have you uh, been to any Marley's games, Bennett? I have. I, I went to a Marley's game a few years back when I was still in post-secondary um, against the Rochester Americans back when it was still known as Rico Coliseum. Unfortunately, they, re well, I guess not unfortunately, but they renamed the um, stadium to Coca-Cola Coliseum, I believe it is now. The Coca-Cola Coliseum, yes. Uh, yeah, there's a bit of uh, interesting dealings around all that, too, because... Uh, the Leafs had their uh, farm club out in St. John's, Newfoundland. That's right. And uh, what happened there was uh, Edmonton, their farm team at the time, was the Phoenix Roadrunners. The Toronto, yeah, the Toronto Roadrunners. And they right. became the Toronto Roadrunners. Uh, so they had been down in Phoenix, and they said, oh, you know, they, they approached the city and said, if you guys sink money into uh, fixing up the Rico Coliseum, we'll put an American Hockey League team in there. Uh, I think what, I don't know this for a fact, but it seemed to be there a kind of a bit of a plan because... Uh, if the Toronto Maple Leafs, which are this big billionaire uh, corporation, asked the Toronto taxpayers to fix up a arena for them, I think they would be sent packing. But uh, So what they did is they had Edmonton place uh, the Toronto Roadrunners in there for a year. And on the taxpayers' dime, they fixed up the Coliseum. And then, of course, after one year, uh, Edmonton uh, moved their farm team. And then the Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, you know, MLSE could walk in and say, hey, we'll do you a favor. You have that nice arena with no tenant. We'll move our team from Newfoundland and plunk them right in Toronto, which works out for us. And, oh, isn't that wonderful? It was all the taxpayers upgraded it for us. But at any rate, that, that is the life in pro sports. Um, but as far as fan experience goes, uh, I know we're going to have some shots up here. Um, in the past, when you hear people talk about their hockey experience and why they love it. A lot of it is is they, they share that experience with their family going to the arenas, and they also get up close and personal with the players. Uh, here we have a picture of Rico Coliseum, uh, Coca-Cola Coliseum now. Sits about 7,500 people. So there's not a bad seat in the house, actually. You're, you're closer to the action that way um, than at the, at the Scotiabank Center. Um, the other thing is getting inside the door, too because I think it costs us about $30 a ticket, which I think for a lot of families is a, is a doable price point. It's like OHL-level price point, so Absolutely. why not? But you yeah. see pros. Because uh, I'm not even sure if you can get inside the, inside the Scotiabank Centre for a Toronto Maple Leaf game single ticket for less than $100. I would be surprised if you could do that. And man. that would get you in the nosebleed. So if you can get you know, a family of four in there for $120, it's much more affordable. And... Uh, I know they've uh, certainly been making a huge effort to reach out grassroots-wise. Um, my son's team there from Hanover was uh, Flag Bears. They had another team uh, from Toronto, uh, Goulding Park, was uh, holding a flag at the other end. 
They had a Toronto team standing on the blue line with uh, the Marlies players. They had a team from Guelph on the bench. And uh, as we see here, here's some behind the scenes where uh, they're putting through the, the motions on how to hold the, the huge flag and get ready to go out on the ice. And uh, there we go. And in a moment here, we'll see uh, after the warm-up, the, it was uh, the Laval Rocket. Yeah, there's Grandier came through. So the players, when I was saying, you know, that up-close and personal experience, they were walking right by the kids that were getting ready to go on the ice with the flag. And that's a, that's a great memory for those kids that you just don't necessarily get with the Leafs. Uh, it's a little more antiseptic. Here they are in front of the crowd, uh, getting ready to unfurl the big flag. Uh, standing right in front of uh, the Laval Rocket starting goaltender, uh, Lacove. And uh, Michael Pizzetta is one of the starting players there. We had him on our show last year. Former Sudbury Wolf and Sarnia Sting. There's Pizzetta right there, uh, 23. And uh, yeah, there they are unfurling the flag. Nice little hockey memory, good team bonding experience. They also uh, happened to be Connor Brown bobblehead day. So they got their swag that way and they you know, gave the kids uh, Nazem Kadri posters and they got a Marley's uh, puck there with the team logo on there. So yeah, overall I just thought, you know, I worry that the Toronto Maple Leafs aren't affordable for families anymore, but I know on that Saturday night, they uh, sure packed the Coliseum. And the other thing we were talking about is the quality of American Hockey League hockey is quite fantastic. Uh, you know, a lot of upcoming Toronto Maple Leaf prospects uh, coming through here. Um, and right now they have Sam Gagne. He scored the opening goal in the game. The guy's making three and a half million dollars. Uh, he's uh, and on the Canucks dime too. On the on the Canucks dime, he's on loan because uh, his production isn't what they would you know hoped for for three and a half million dollars. So they're burning his contract. He's been called up a couple times, uh, but you know he's a fantastic player still. So if you can uh, get into the Coca-Cola Center and watch an American Hockey League game, it's quite a, an affordable experience, and it's a good one your, your family's going to remember and enjoy, and uh, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, we were talking about some, uh, like, Callie uh, Rosen and some of the other uh, Leafs on the way up there. And the nice thing about the AHL is it's not a pugilist league anymore. It's not about, you know, I don't know if anyone out there has seen the documentary Ice Guardians, and they talk about, you know, bouncing up and down between the minors and the, and the, and the NHL. And these guys are so nervous about being sent to the AHL because they figure they get one shot and basically and that's it. But it's not as tough a league as it used to be, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that these lineups aren't filled with thugs. They're filled with guys that are skilled and, and have a solid potential of going up to the NHL at some point and potentially becoming career pro hockey players, which is something that didn't always happen in, in years past. Yeah, we mentioned that for Laval, they had Byron Froze, who just a couple of years ago played 58 games for the Leafs and was just, you were telling Recently me, traded to the Flyers. Just traded right. to the Flyers. And even on the Leaf lineup there, you mentioned Tom Sestito and uh, there's Josh Juris and all sorts of players there that... Jordan um, Subban? Yeah, Jordan Subban that have already logged some uh, significant NHL time. And uh, some up-and-coming players too, like uh, tr uh, Travis Moore who uh, from Thousand Oaks, California. There's not many players from there, but he's, uh, he's started to get a little cup of coffee with the Leafs and might factor into their plans later on. Absolutely, and don't forget also that this Marley's team is coming off of a championship last year over the Texas Stars. And if you get a championship hockey team in Toronto, you're going to get noticed. 
Absolutely. So there you go. Toronto Marlies, highly recommend it. I know a lot of families drive to Buffalo or anything to catch uh, some NHL action anyway, so Toronto's a little bit closer, and if uh, you're willing to, to, to not have the actual NHL brand, it, it is a worthwhile uh, family uh, hockey experience. And uh, being a great county guy, I should mention, uh, we were hoping to see Michael McNiven starting for Lavelle. He was actually uh, he was unavailable that day. He was actually called up that day uh, to sit on the bench for the Montreal Canadiens because Carey Price was suspended for a game, and he was suspended under that policy where he sat out the All-Star game, so he wasn't allowed to play the first game after. And, of course, Alex Ovechkin, one of the brightest stars in the entire league, he also had to sit out a game uh, under the same rule. What are your thoughts on uh, the players that take a pass on the All-Star game having to sit out? Well, I mean, the first thing is, I think we've got to acknowledge, Alex Ovechkin's got to take a bit of a break probably because of the hard partying he's done since he won the Cup. But as it, when it comes to sitting out, I can't really blame these guys anymore. And when I was a kid, I loved the All-Star game. I particularly loved the East versus West. And, uh, I mean, even if it, if it was North America against the world, that was one thing. But I particularly loved East versus West. Now I can't make heads or tails out of it. And it's just because they, they've divided these teams so much. You know, now we're going with divisions. Now it's three on three. Now we're going with essentially like short benches so that we can do these divisional games. And I'm not a fan of it, honestly, anymore. Um, I, I'd love to see them do like almost, I guess, like a Pro Bowl thing. You know, but maybe they don't do it every year. And the other thing that I've heard, um, and it was suggested on Twitter, and I honestly can't remember who it was or I would tell you, had said that maybe for the first five years of a player's career, they should be, if they're named to the All-Star game, they have to go. After that, they can take a pass. And that's, that's sort of a freebie that they would have. Because you know what? There is enough star power in the league that I think they can fill those spots quite ably. And to my mind, I'm going to be honest, this whole three-on-three thing for the All-Star thing I think is a joke. Yeah. It's a little bit of a tournament. How, like, it's supposed to be a showcase of your, the best of your game, and then you don't even play your game. It would be like the MLB saying, you know what, let's get rid of our actual game game and just do a home, room con- uh, home run contest. I think it's patently absurd that you're showcasing your game by not playing your game. If you're going to do that, throw out this stupid three-on-three tournament and just do the skills competition. Or, as you said, maybe something more like the Pro Bowl. That's, you know, quite frankly, it's a bit of a two-hand touch situation. So maybe they need to just make it a non-contact shinny and highlight the skill and and make it an exhibition of the stars, but one where they're not going to be at any risk of injury. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. I mean, it's like the Olympics. Remember John Tavares getting injured in the Olympics? And these guys don't go there with the intention of playing intense hockey. But that being said, like make it worthwhile for the fans. So if you want to just do a, a skills tournament, just do a skills tournament. And I mean, like let them show off what they can do because these guys can't always do that when they're playing, obviously. But at the same time, like let's respect the game enough to not sort of make a parody of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the three-on-three. Uh, Maybe we'll go to that thing. Uh, we'll talk about Kendall Coyne Schofield. I think that was the one thing they did do well. NHL is not famous for being forward thinking, but they included uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield from the women's uh, American national team, gold medal winner from the last Olympics. They included her in the skills competition in the fastest skater, and I think everyone would say all around it was a win-win. It was uh, she represented herself extremely well. 
and uh, it was kind of going into new territory there for uh, women's hockey. Uh, seeing how, and we have it on the screen there. You can see it. She was sure flying. Uh, she uh, fourteen three four six. She uh, skated faster than Clayton Keller, who's no slouch as a hockey player himself. And she's since uh, she's recorded a faster time in, a, in another skills competition. Well, I mean, there's no question that there's some incredible female hockey talent out there that, that's playing. And I mean, like we could very well see a female player become professional at some point. We've seen that in the past. I think it was only with goaltenders so far. Mm-hmm. That Haley Wickenheiser played like like third division in, I think it was Finland or Sweden a few years back. But There was yeah, no question was, about her yeah. ability, though. Like, I mean, like, if you put her ability up against some of the guys who have played in the NHL, I would argue that she's better. So Skill-wise, maybe yeah. the physicality might not be there yet. but Yeah, exactly, yeah. purely skill-wise. And, I mean, like, you're right. That was a forward-thinking thing that the NHL did. And it's not only, you know, forward-thinking, but it's opening up the game to a whole other genre of fans. I remember uh, reading an article a few years back, and it was actually saying that where women's sports is right now, and it was particularly talking about things like uh, basketball and hockey, and they are saying really, uh, if you look at where the level of play is, uh, in basketball and hockey, they're approaching about where men's hockey was in the 70s, maybe getting into early 80s, if you looked at uh, all-around ability and such like that. So it's a very high level of hockey. Uh, but of course, the men's game has continued to evolve as well, too. Um, so yeah, that was I think the one bright shining moment from this year, this year's All Star Game. I didn't watch a moment of anything else because I just didn't care to. Um, the but one the one thing that was kind of funny that happened to me with that was I was sitting on my couch uh, in my living room watching the, what I thought was the skills competition. I'm like, why is Eric Carlson wearing a Senators jersey? Why is John Tavares wearing an Islanders jersey? And it was only then that I realized that it said 2018 on the end. Oh, they were replaying last year's. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, uh, I haven't been a fan of the NHL's All-Star competition for quite a few years. I'd say the last real shining uh, memory I have goes back to 1997 when Owen Nolan called his shot. And I think we have some video of that where there actually it was finishing off a hat-trick. It was against Dominic Hasek. And uh, he had scored uh, two goals eight seconds apart earlier in the game. And I think that's what uh, we're seeing on the screen here. It's part of the setup. But yeah, it was kind of like uh, hockey's Babe Ruth moment where he scored the two goals in eight seconds earlier in the game. And then in the third period, he got a bit of a break and as he crossed the blue line, well, we'll let the video speak for itself here. second period of the 1997 All-Star Game ignited the Shark Tank. But it was Nolan's third period performance that brought the house down. And here comes Nolan for the hat again. He points. Yeah, so that was the last real, 1997, last big uh, all-star moment for me. I remember we were watching that going, ah, oh, was he just kind of saying, I'm going to get you this time, or was he actually calling the top corner? But it very much does look like he's saying, I'm going top corner, and he managed to put it there. So, And this is against one of the most acrobatic goaltenders in the game. Yes, Dominic Hasek there. My beef about him was he used to throw a stick into the play a lot, which is against the rules, but that's a whole conversation for a whole other time. I tell you what, so there's, uh, there's our chat about the All-Star Game, and we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back on the other side, and we're going to talk about uh, some OHL goaltenders having some uh, notable performances in the NHL.
So back in uh, 2010, 2011, Owen Sound Attack fans were over the moon because they won the OHL championship. And uh, at that time, they had Jordan Bennington between the pipes. And of course, uh, Jordan's had uh, quite a good few weeks uh, called up, got his first start in the NHL for the St. Louis Blues. And uh, overall this season, he's already 10 and 1, and then there's one overtime loss there as well. Has a 182 uh, save percentage, which is just lights out, and uh, goals against average, and a 927 save percentage. So uh, it's good to see uh, a guy with some local OHL roots uh, doing well. Absolutely. And I mean, there's been a number of goaltenders that have come through this organization who have had success at the NHL level. Uh, we've seen guys like Jamie Storr and Kevin Weeks carve out careers in the Brian NHL. Johnson. Brian uh, Brent Johnson, yes, also. Yeah. And it's great to see these guys that are able sort of to take hold of a role and really change the direction of a team. This is a St. Louis Blues team that some consider to be a lottery team, basically in the beginning of the year, supposed to contend for the Cup, stumbled really significantly out of the gate, and have had goaltending issues off and on for the past few years. So to see them get this guy who's making less than a million dollars a year, just sort of take the reins is something we haven't really seen since Cam Ward and the Carolina Hurricanes 2006. Yeah, cap hit there, $650,000. And, you know, in sports, that's where you get your inspiration is you see that perseverance. And I think that definitely counts in his case here because uh, he played uh, part of one NHL game back in 2015-2016. And uh, he's been battling it away in the minors since there. He got called up uh, briefly last year but didn't play, so he's sitting on the bench for a while. And, you know, that can be really frustrating, disillusioning. It's not easy riding those buses in the American Hockey League. They have weekends where they play three games and three nights, and the travel schedule is brutal. And they don't get paid at the same scale often in the, in the minors. No, not even like barely a tenth at times. So that's good on them there. Uh, so not having played a game in two years in the NHL, uh, hanging in there and so far playing those 14 games this year and 10-1-1, uh, and, one and one, that's a fantastic record and I hope he shows uh, more of it there. Uh, I know in the past, yeah, they haven't necessarily had full confidence in Jake Allen. He's a uh, few years had that mid-season kind of tailspin. Starts well, finishes well, but has that tailspin. But uh, Jordan has been nothing but solid, and they're in a playoff position right now. And uh, there's a lot less talk about Peter Angelo going to the Leafs now because. Uh, well, yeah, that's absolutely right. They're no longer sellers. They might be. Uh, they might be buyers. So yeah, good on uh, good on Jordan Bennington. And uh, the other uh, stuff going on recently too is another OHL guy, uh, Michael DiPietro. Di uh, got in his first NHL game last night, uh, sorry, this week, with uh, Vancouver Canucks. He did, and I've, I saw Mikey DiPietro play um, when he came back from the World Juniors, and he was playing for the Ottawa 67s. This was the first game after the Guelph Storm had acquired Nick Suzuki and a few others from the Owen Sound attack. And this Storm team was incredible, and nothing was going to stop them, including Mikey DiPietro. And he got pulled after, I think it was four goals, but that was not because he played poorly. It was because nobody was stopping that team. And you look at the stats, and that Ottawa 67's group is a very strong team. And I think that we're going to see Mikey DiPietro have a solid career at the NHL level. Yeah, the Ottawa 67's are definitely a, a powerhouse this year and uh, looking to make a lot of noise come the playoffs. And, of course, Michael DiPietro had a great run there with uh, Team Canada in, in the World Juniors this year, too, which I was glad to see. 
you know, in the past there's been a little bit of criticism because of uh, his style of play, a uh, bit of a hybrid or a tweener, they sometimes call it. But at the end of the day, if he stops the puck, he stops the puck. And I think yeah, they need to not get caught up on the, the style and look at the results. Well, the thing that's going to be interesting is that he's in an organization right now with another elite goaltender or goaltending prospect, rather, in Thatcher Demko. And it's going to be interesting to see which of those two organizations, because I believe Thatcher Demko came out of the development program in the States. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's where he came from. And it'll be interesting to see which goalie can really become the goalie of the future for the Vancouver Canucks, a team that haven't really had a spectacular, Jakob Markstrom has done okay, but a spectacular goalie since they traded Roberto Alongo back to the Florida Panthers. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, but certainly uh, uh, I think of a guy like uh, uh, Curtis... uh, Sanford, mm-hmm. who very you know had a fairly decent uh, NHL career, but it kind of stalled when he got into the Montreal organization because, of course, uh, Carey Price was emerging, and that was a time when Carey Price was playing 70 games a season, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of need for a third. So he actually, I believe, uh, was top goalie in the American Hockey League that year, but certainly uh, slowed down his his career path for a short while there too. Um, so yeah, Di Pietro's first game, uh, he was an emergency call-up because of uh, uh, injuries. I believe they said he was the fifth player uh, under the age of 19 uh, to start his first NHL game. Uh, certainly a lot of players have been thrown in there in a backup role, but uh, yeah, he was uh, only the fifth to start at that young age. So I think there's more to be seen for Michael Di Pietro, first in the OHL this year with the Ottawa 67s and then down the road in the NHL. Uh, Probably throw it out there too, uh, Alex Nedeljkovic uh, from the Flint Firebirds, uh, originally from the Flint Firebirds, before that actually, he was a Plymouth Whaler. Uh, He got a start not too long ago for the Carolina Hurricanes against Vancouver and uh, made 24 saves on 26 shots. He got the win. And uh, what was notable for that is uh, he was the first actual Flint Firebird to suit up in the NHL. Um, of course, their predecessor was the, the Plymouth Whalers, and uh, quite a few of them, like Tom Wilson, have uh, played in the NHL. But from the time when they moved down to Flint, he's the first one to, uh, to make that leap to the NHL. So good on Alex Nedeljkovic as well. And, and he's also in a different situation than the Vancouver goalies in that Carolina's in a bit of goaltending flux right now mm-hmm. with, uh, they're, you know, they're juggling Curtis McElhaney, Peter Mrazek, and uh, Scott Darling. And Scott, Scott Darling recently stepped away from the team for leave. personal yeah. reasons. Um, so we wish, we wish him the best in getting that sorted out. But this could certainly prove to be a chance for a young goalie to take the reins. And McElhaney, uh, his numbers haven't been too bad since uh, he's shown up in Carolina there. So it would be nice to see him actually get a, a shot at taking the the starting role. Absolutely. I mean, like you look at a guy like Tim Thomas, who they say was basically rescued off of the scrap heap, and he became a fairly stellar goaltender. Yeah, he'd been playing in Finland. And and I mentioned recently on Twitter, uh, Justin Pogge, his career was just handled so terribly by by the Leafs. Actually, when we look at Michael DiPietro, you know, they lost 7-2. He didn't have a great start, but that was an emergency call-up. He was, you know, flown in from Ottawa, it wasn't an ideal circumstance he was thrown in. But if you remember back to Justin Pogge, that's what the Leafs did with him when he was a young prospect. And coming in, he, was, he played really well for our national team. Um, but what they did is he didn't get to actually practice with the team. When he got his starts, 
the team at the time was terrible, and they didn't give him time to sort of sit on the bench, to get acclimatized, to practice with the team. To save money, they would call him in day of and throw him in there for a start. And he didn't play terribly, but you know some of the games didn't go all that well with a terrible team in front of him. And then they lost confidence in him after putting him in a no-win situation. So having said all this, Justin Pogge, uh, he's played in the KHL and this series playing in Sweden. He's putting up good numbers. I think he's around 32, so you know his opportunities age-wise probably aren't there, but I'd love to see a team that needs a good backup, maybe an injury replacement. I'd love to see Justin Pogge playing in the NHL next year. And the guy that they chose Pogge over? Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask, yeah, that's true. And I think that was part of the, the poison pill against him, which isn't Pogge's fault either. Not right? at all. Yeah. Not at all. But goalies are so hard to scout. They're so hard to pick, which is why we don't see them taken often in the first round. Yeah. Uh, I believe Jake Ottinger was the last one to be taken in the first round. Uh, look at a guy like Zach Fucali. Uh, from, he was in the Montreal Canadiens organization for a number of years and just you know played for the junior teams and it was highly, highly regarded. Nothing has happened so far. With so few, uh, so few openings in the nets, right? It's, it's uh, true. It's a real numbers game, more so for goalies than anyone else. Uh, so we're going to turn over. We do a segment here from time to time called From the Clerk Guys. And uh, we have one here from the Barry Examiner of February 8th, 1978. And uh, what we do is we just kind of look back at an interesting news story from days gone by. And uh, I know Adam's uh, working away there. It's going to be up on our screen for us, for our viewers. For our podcast listeners, uh, the headline says, Shedden's first season is one he'll remember. And uh, Doug Shedden was someone we had in our show last year. He was a great guest. Had a really good NHL career with both Pittsburgh and Toronto and uh, some other stops along the way. And he's uh, had a lot of success as an international coach. He's uh, coached the Finnish uh, national team and he's coached in Europe quite a bit. He's won Spenglers and he's done good things with uh, Canada. Um, what was kind of cool last year is uh, uh, when he was on our show, it was one of the brief moments where he wasn't employed, but uh, he was in the, in the midst of being signed to... Uh, uh, Shorts involved team in Germany, which we announced we got to break the news uh, on Hockey Talk that he had signed in Germany, where uh, he's still coaching. Um, so in this case, uh, young Doug Shedden, this is when he was 16, and he was a he was a Barry native, so that's why it was in the Barry Examiner. Uh, but interestingly enough, he was the first overall, he was the first round pick by uh, the Hamilton OHL team at the time. Uh, they were called the Finn Cups, and uh, things didn't seem to be working out as a 16 year old. Uh, for him in Hamilton, so he uh, was traded for Gaston Gingras, who later played for the Leafs and Montreal Canadiens. Uh, so he's traded for Gaston Gingras to the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, but what was interesting about this is even though uh, Clarence Schmaltz, who, by the way, has local ties, and uh, the Ontario Junior C Championship, the provincial championship, is named after him, Clarence uh, Tubby Schmaltz, but he was the commissioner at the time, and he approved the trade to uh, Kitchener for Gaston Gingras. But then a lot of the other teams in the league were like, whoa, 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 we have a rule on the books that you're not allowed to trade your first-round pick. Um, so they got caught in a bit of a situation there, and uh, apparently Schmaltz had to sort of renege. But at this point, the trade had already been done. So what this meant was that uh, Shedden was in purgatory, in a sense, and he ended up playing for the Guelph Holiday Platers. Uh, 
who would have been like a tier two junior A team at the time, or maybe they weren't officially junior B, but it would have been like that, tier two provincial junior A. And there he proceeded to score 22 points in 10 games and light it up. And in some ways, it looks like it actually really benefited him. He got lots of, uh, they're quoting his mom here, Joyce Shedden, saying he got power play time and penalty kill time. And uh, yeah, so he, he went on his path from there. And of course, uh, you can read this article if you want. You can uh, catch it on our Twitter feed. It's at HockeyTalk913. And we have it posted there. You can read it at your leisure. But kind of a little interesting story about Doug Shedden. And we know sometimes politics, right, can really affect sports. Our local uh, WOAA senior hockey, the playoffs were, were delayed several days there because uh, there was, you know, different... Uh, appeals of suspensions for, you know, is this player from out of area, is he not from out of area? And uh, these uh, suspensions, and they had implications in the standings, whether they were counting points for certain games or not, and who was going to play who. So it's nothing new in hockey. Sometimes these politics rear their ugly head. In some ways, they make it kind of interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to take a moment here and just uh, give you an eye on what's coming up next week. Uh, Adam and I, we're going to pack up and go on the road this Saturday to the Tom Thompson Art Gallery in Owen Sound. They have a great display going on called Saving Face, where they look at uh, the artwork on goaltenders' masks. Curtis Sanford and a bunch of other uh, local pros have donated samples of their work. Some uh, mask painting artists have uh, given some samples. And something that's kind of cool is they have an eight-foot goalie mask that they commissioned with uh, some local artwork representing all sorts of different stuff. So uh, yeah, Adam and I are going to put together a really cool segment. And then uh, after that segment next week, we're going to have our uh, playoff deadline where uh, Steve Fitzsimmons, play-by-play guy, will be back. And I believe Paul Hillier will be back also. I need to confirm that one. And uh, yeah, we'll be uh, chewing the fat about the trade deadline. And I just want to remind you, too, you can catch all of this on our podcast which is on uh, bwrhockeytalk.podomatic.com. And uh, our Twitter feed, as I said, was HockeyTalk913. Me, I'm Gray County Guy, so give me a follow if you want. We uh, pu- uh, put a lot of stuff on there, OHL, NHL, and a lot of also local hockey things are on there as well, whether it's Gray Bruce Highlanders or other stuff going on in uh, minor hockey in the area, or just keeping tabs on players from this area playing in other places. So... Uh, With that, we look forward to next week, and uh, that's episode one of season four uh, in the can. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you again on Friday night after MWO Sports. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Thank you.